Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of WJ Live, powered by the Western Journal, and where we are officially seven days away from Christmas Eve, which is pretty exciting. Uh, my name is Brian Chai. I'm the Deputy Managing Editor of Features here at the Western Journal. To my left, I got Mike Lawson, who's a reporter here. Howdy. To my right, another reporter, Andrew J. Shawshaw. Uh, we got a lot to get to today, so I'm going to go and kick it right off. By- but before that, oh, here we go. I got to ask, <laughs> Oh no, Brian, I got to ask you, because Michael, he's known for the fancy blazer, but a man with the nickname Hoodie Brian is not necessarily known <laughs> Hoodie Brian. for the blazer, so I got to know why you look so spiffy today. All right, so this story is kind of ridiculous, but uh, essentially... <laughs> Our taskmaster of a podcast producer, Kayla Kunkel, uh, told us that we have to wear collared shirts on the show, which is fine. Uh, but all of my casual collared shirts are in the laundry. And uh, hopefully my <laughs> wife isn't watching this because I've been putting off laundry for a few days now. And I had no clean collared shirts. Uh, therefore, the one collared shirt I had was kind of a fancy one. So I figured, what the heck? Let's just go all the way with it. Did the jacket, did the khakis. I'm even wearing shoes for once. Uh, but yeah, that, that is the uh, answer to your question, Andrew. I have been putting off laundry for a little too long. And I figured if I'm going to have to wear a fancy collared shirt, I may as well just go all the way with the fanciness. I expect nothing less. All right. Uh, with that very important piece of trivia out of the way, um, I want to go and kick us off by talking about everyone's favorite socialist darling, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, yes. uh, who has been in the headlines lately for surprisingly not for, you know, well, I'm sure she's always attacking Republicans, conservatives. That's just part of her grift. Uh, but lately, she's actually been turning her ire to her own party, uh, which is interesting, to say the least. Uh, essentially, uh, in an interview with The Intercept, AOC lamented about the current state of Democratic leadership, namely Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi, who are, I believe, Schumer is 70? In his 70s. Gotta be in his 70s. And I think Pelosi's 80. They both look like skeletons. <laughs> uh, well, Pelosi does. Yes. Her sunken eyeball things creeps me out. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, septuagenarian and an octogenarian. Not exactly spring chickens <laughs> leading the Democratic Party. Uh, so but Years of wisdom. Uh, years of something. Um, so, anyways, in an interview with The Intercept, AOC mentioned that, you know, a lot of this is not just about these two personalities, speaking about Schumer and Pelosi. 
but also about the structural shift that these two personalities have led in their time in leadership, uh, which is a pretty loaded way of saying that uh, uh, to AOC, that particular brand of leadership has not gone far left enough, which is a terrifying thought to think that Pelosi's brand of San Francisco liberalism is somehow moderate to AOC. Um, she also added the structural shifts of power in the House, both in process and rule, to concentrate power in party leadership of both parties, frankly, but in Democratic Party leadership to such a degree that an individual member has far less power than they did 30, 40, 50 years ago. So she's essentially just whining at this point that she doesn't get to do whatever she wants. Thank goodness. Uh, with that being said, guys, um, I'll go ahead and kick it over to you, Michael. Yeah. Um, given that AOC kind of seems to be splintering the party between kind of the establishment Democrats and the the newer leftist, you know, squad uh, right. Democrats, um, do you think, big picture, do you think AOC actually does more harm or more good for the conservatives, for Republicans, for the GOP? I'm pretty torn on this one. I can kind of see both sides, but I would say she, she does more good. I mean... She's definitely rallied the youth for the Democratic mm -hmm. Party. Mm -hmm. She's a huge icon for them at this point with all her socialist rhetoric and just the fact that she's young and she's fun and some people find her attractive. Do I'm, you? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have there a fiance no and I'm very happy. <laughs> uh, but, you know, she does give Republicans, she is that one crazy voice that we mm -hmm. can kind of point to and say, this these are your leaders on the other side mm -hmm. yep. and we can just look at her and say that and so i i think perhaps she's done more to rally us than you know when it comes to young people on the other side mm -hmm. that's not exactly the most passioned group when it comes to yep. politics so sure they'll post about aoc a lot but they're not actually going to do much and then yeah. when they grow up and have kids a lot of them are going to become republican yeah so, i mean not not to sound morbid but i i think uh, you know, Bernie doesn't have too many years left on this <laughs> yeah. planet. Um, Bernie Sanders, for those of you wondering. Uh, and she's kind of filling that yes. void that, you know, you know, crazy Uncle Bernie. I wish Joe were here. He could do a good Bernie Sanders yeah, impression yeah. right now. But yeah, it feels like the the socialist void that Bernie, I mean, he's also just in general becoming less relevant. Mm -hmm. um, right. But the socialist void left by Bernie is going to be immediately filled by AOC. And I, I think the difference there, and it's why I want to take Michael's response and I just want to run with it mm -hmm. hundreds of yards, because I mean, t say what you will about Bernie Sanders. The man is an intellectual. He is an academic. I mean, we, we've we've seen plenty from him over the years. He knows what he's talking about. He knows where he's going, and he's always known where he's going. I mean, to the point where Elizabeth Warren pretty much stole his whole platform going yeah. into the 2020 election. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is the single greatest gift that has been given to the conservative movement um, mm. over the last two decades. I mean, this is a person who doesn't understand how Washington works, uh, clearly from the statement that you just read. I mean, it's not about the idea that, you know, somehow the partisans have stolen power away from the individual members. Mm. Freshman members have never had the political capital that someone like Nancy Pelosi has after decades in mm -hmm. the House of Representatives. That's just not how Washington works. That's not how the Beltway operates. Yeah. So that is just whining based upon coming in, thinking she was going to get all these grand socialist plans enacted or at least kind of considered to yeah. change the dialogue. And it just wasn't going to happen. And the worst part of that is that essentially you're walking in with all of these f absolutely fanatical left-wing ideas 
and you're floundering about because you can't get it done. You don't know how anything works yeah, and your party doesn't want to run with you. Yeah, she's a gift. She's someone that can be a con common enemy for conservatives to play devil's advocate on that for a second, though, because I do. I mean, I agree with you, but I, I definitely see both sides of this. I think she's won some major cultural victories when it comes to mm. just the socialism mm. and uh, universal health care and things like that. And when you see all of these people probably around our age, Andrew, in their early to mid 20s, not my age, thanks. <laughs> Uh, younger people, you know, but, but, <laughs> I guess. But was that her? I, I mean, these were things that I don't know. I, I know you went to school in Iowa. I went to school in Massachusetts. This is, you know, one of the top three most progressive states in the country. I heard about Bernie Sanders in high school. I mean, people were talking about him. People knew about him in my hometown when I was in high school. He was the Kickstarter for that. You know, whatever credit she's yeah. received, it's credit that she's stolen from him. I mean, mm. She is, you know, she is a young poppy voice for it. She's kind of got, you know, some finesse and some yeah. sass in the way of messaging, but she's nothing new. Yeah, and she, she might. I don't know if she's actually accomplished anything as much as she's looked. She's riding she's the way good doing it. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's fair. All right. I'm going to actually flip that around then. So uh, what do you guys think? Uh, and Andrew, I'll ask you first this time. What, what do you think uh, the GOP conservatives, Republicans, what can they learn from this AOC debacle to avoid a similar splintering within conservatism, within <laughs> the Republicans. Like what, I mean, we've talked, I've, I've talked about this on the show before, but there, you're already starting to see a little bit of it with, uh, yeah, I, and I hate this term, so I apologize, but you know, rhinos mm -hmm. and you know, <laughs> uh, the, the staunchest Trump supporters who, you know, you're either with them or against them. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you're actually conservative, you're either with Trump or against them. And I don't think it's nearly as bad as it is on the on the Democratic side. Uh, but what can conservatives learn from AOC as far as how do we avoid similar situations? How do we make sure the party stays unified while we let uh, the Democrats continue to splinter into to fight it you out. Know, far left versus left? I mean, I, I think you need to foment it. I, I think that and that's that's in the way of messaging. That's in the way of media. I think that's something that I actually feel quite the opposite of you. I think that Republicans have had this problem that the Democrats are having right now for decades mm, and that fair. the Democrats have been a little bit more cohesive in their messaging, at least about face and publicly. Okay. I think that the Republicans need to figure out how to message AOC and they've done a, a fine job of it so far, yeah. but it's essentially just keep pointing her out. We need to figure out how, I mean, right now, unfortunately is possibly the worst time for it because we're currently fighting it out in the party over whether or not, you know, the more establishment folks, the more traditionalist conservative folks are kind of ready to move on from Donald Trump. We've seen that and we've seen the fighting that that's created with kind of the Trump base who is not ready to move on with regard to a Joe Biden administration, if that's what we're seeing in January. Yeah. I mean, I would find myself more aligned with the old guard. I'm not with them 100 percent. And I think that there's still, you know, time to see what plays out. Hmm. But unfortunately, we need to get it together on the right and get it together fast so that we can start pointing to figures like AOC, particularly depending on how these Georgia runoffs go in January and early January. If Biden has that supermajority, um, I mean, just by matter of the legislature being on the side of the president on the left, mm -hmm. AOC gets far more political capital that she even ha than she even has now because yeah which is a terrifying thought. that's something where the left can kind of start to push and know that it's going to get something done in a way that they didn't that, that they couldn't under president trump yeah. and, and so I, I think that that's how do we avoid being 
like the Democrats are now. It's we have to stop being the way we've been. We need to stop fighting about, you know, what personality we want at the fore and start talking about what personalities they're putting at the fore and how dangerous they are for the American people. Yeah. That's yeah. probably our strength right now is yeah. putting I mean, out their weaknesses. So. I do think one important tool for that for conservatives is is going to be social media. Um, it's never yeah. been easier to get messages across unless you are President Donald Trump, in which case Twitter has no problem smacking you down. Uh, yep. Interestingly, there's some stuff that they seem all too fine just letting spread around like wildfire. And I know, Michael, you want to talk about some of those things. Yeah. And so, you know, Trump has been censored for... Some of the things he says you could definitely say are disputable. Mm -hmm. For sure, I think all of us would agree on that. But other things he says, they're opinions, they're based on evidence, they're not necessarily uh, false or misleading, and yet Twitter uh, censors him nonetheless. Didn't he get dinged on... I, I remember him getting dinged on something like he... He said he thinks the vaccine will be here within the year. Yeah. It's like <laughs> yeah. he thinks it will be here in a year, and just nope. And he's news. in a better position to know that than anybody on tw at Twitter, and yeah. yet they yeah, still fake news. ding him for that. But, you know, they censor him. They censor conservatives all the time for this stuff that is not misleading or untrue. And yet we're going to show you a tweet right now. They let this go uncensored. This is from the Chinese embassy in the U.S. in Xinjiang. All citizens enjoy the same rights. It is a completely independent choice of each citizen to believe in or not believe in any religion. For those of you who don't know, the Xinjiang region in China, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I You're have no idea. Right. Um, that is the region in China where the Uyghur population is native to, which is an ethnic minority in China. And famously, the Chinese government is enacting a cultural genocide mm -hmm. against the Uyghur population. They're putting them into concentration camps. They're making them undergo forced sterilization. They're putting them into... Uh, they're basically re-educating them, trying to get them to like learn... Brainwashing camps. Yeah, yeah, basically. They're doing all these things. You know, There's been these really mysterious population declines. Some people are suggesting that they might be killing them in large numbers as well. But we do know for a fact that it is a cultural genocide. They're trying to erase their heritage, erase their population... And yet Twitter just lets this tweet go completely uncensored. They don't care to put a misleading tag on that. They'll put it on or every missing single one. Context. <laughs> or yeah. missing context. Or missing any of their... <laughs> yeah. I mean, this may be one of... You know, I've, I've talked about this a lot. I think this may be one of the most evil regimes of our time. We're going to look back. Yeah. I don't know. Kale Kunkel's regime is pretty evil. <laughs> Kale Kunkel, the <laughs> producer of this podcast. Um, but... It, it's probably the most evil regime. They are literally targeting people based on their race and ethnicity, and they're trying to eliminate them. All of the systemic racism that people claim is happening in America, it's happening in China. We know that for a fact. And yet the left seems to just want to ignore this. Um, Twitter, which with their censoring is really, you know, they paint themselves out to be left-leaning for sure. Not even left-leaning. They're just <laughs> on the left, but... You know, they don't seem to care about it. I remember, you know, all the NBA players when they were, you know, they'll fight for social justice, but they don't care at all about yeah. making all the money they make from China. Who, sweet, sweet Chinese money. <laughs> so why why do you guys think that liberals, um, they're, so, they're so passionate about social justice. They're mm. so passionate about fighting for the minorities, fighting for the downtrodden. But when we see a real example, like there, there might be, 
I mean, other than maybe a few third world, several, you know, third world countries and stuff like that, there might be no greater threat of this nature of like racial discrimination and hunting down an ethnic group. There, there's nothing like this anywhere else in the world. And yet mm. they're turning a blind eye to it. Why do you think that is? Where, where, why, where does that hypocrisy come from? I mean, you already touched on it, but it, it's the money, honestly. Yeah. Um, because if you look at it, social justice in America has been, at this point, completely commercialized and hijacked. Yep. Like, there's right. so much money to be made. It's a slogan. Yeah. Uh, there's so much money to be made. Uh, you know, throw a Black Lives Matter on your T-shirt and, you know, woke justice, social justice war, whatever you want to be. In America, there's money to be made there. I mean, look at Colin yeah. Kaepernick. He's, he's made more money not playing football than he did mm -hmm. as a starting quarterback in the NFL. Uh, conversely... In China, like you mentioned, they're still getting that money. I mean, like, look at uh, LeBron James, for instance. Yeah, I was going to bring him up. Yeah. Yeah. Like, he has no problem speaking up about, you know, anything in America because it's part of that social justice grift. Claiming that cops are hunting down black, black people. people every day. Yeah. Every yeah. Day. yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's how he gets money from that. He gets money from China by doing the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. And I think that, per and I think. The specific case of LeBron James, LeBron James is emblematic of the left's relationship with social justice in America and, you know, foreign entities like China. Yeah, no, you hit the nail on the head. It's finance. And I think the other prong of that, that problem has got to be proximity. Mm -hmm. uh, the left has absolutely no re save for I mean. I think it's unquestionable that there are a lot of groups with minority status who vote Democrat and who are, you know, left leaning. I think save for those folks who are actually the core base of the party, the voters, the people who are on the far left in this country have n absolutely no proximity to the issues that they speak about yeah. or don't speak about. Yeah. They have no proximity to the Uyghurs. They don't care what's going on in China. It doesn't affect them. And to be honest, the people in, you know, in L.A. and Malibu, they don't care what's happening down the street in Compton. They don't they don't have an actual proximity to what's going on. Some mm -hmm. of them, you know, when you think about a lot of athletes maybe came out of those communities. But when you talk about actual political figures, people like AOC, people like Pelosi, they don't live around these folks who are struggling. They don't care. It's something that they can, you know, they can virtue signal. Mm. And as long as there's money to be made and they don't actually have to be affected, it doesn't matter. And I, I do want to point out, if you guys want to get caught up on the whole Uyghur situation in China, we have an article on our site that I wrote back in July called China's Uyghur Genocide. Here's everything you need to know about the CCP's human rights abuses. So go look that up. That's thewesternjournal.com. <laughs> yes, at the Western <laughs> Journal. Um, Majad, Majid Nawaz, I hope I said his name right, uh, he's been covering this extensively. He's a British uh, human rights advocate. So, you know. Check us out, read our work, follow him if you're concerned about this, which everyone should be at this point. But, you know, Nawaz specifically, he seems to have to constantly fight against media and, you know, social social media companies that basically just don't care at all about what's happening in China. Like the media and Twitter and Facebook, you know, and uh, social media, they, they really care about American politics and censoring conservative politicians, but they don't care at all about covering this 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 horrible stuff going on over there and it really makes no sense to me because this this really could be a rallying point for so many different groups and yet 
it just seems like it's just inconvenient to talk about. Like, it's like, well, nothing's going to happen, so we're just not going to talk mm-hmm. about it. I mean, it, it does make some sense to me because it, it's a terrifying thought, but China actually does wield yes. just a crazy yes. amount of influence and power stateside here in America. Um, I was actually just reading right before we came on the show. Um, the, there's a new movie coming out called Monster Hunter based on the popular video game. Yep. Um, and apparently... There was a scene in the movie where they made some dumb joke about like Chinese, like talking about a person's knees. It was some weird joke. And I guess um, the Chinese took offense to that and were just like, oh, we're not going to air this here. (laughs) And they immediately capitulated. Like, you know, I'd like to think artists, you know, I I presume most filmmakers consider, consider themselves artists, would have the backbone to want to keep something as innocuous as a dumb joke in their movie. Yeah, um, but they can't because China, China's influence. Yeah, and social justice warriors in Hollywood like to talk about how there's not enough diversity on film, and oftentimes that's because the Chinese market they don't like having as many black actors in their movies, mm-hmm. and so sometimes Hollywood will capitulate and cast more white people. And when which it, is just and when it comes <laughs> to ridiculous. things like the Uyghurs, there's also the problem of the fact that you have no accountability on the world stage. Yeah, uh, yeah. living in the modern yeah, superpowered age. The United Nations, you know, the, those supreme superpowers, Russia, the United yes. States, and China, it's all backstabbing political, diplomatic kind of solutions. It's not, no one's going to, wide-scale conflict is almost unthinkable on the world stage right now, save for things like what go, what proxy wars in the Middle East, um, you know, land disputes between ethnic groups in Africa, things like that. We're not going to see a superpower mm-hmm. battle at, in which case, I mean, unfortunately, China can kind of get away with whatever yeah. it wants. How do we hold them accountable at yeah. the UN? It's not actually a possibility when they hold superpower status. That's true. And when they get a seat at the table to talk about, you know, human rights abuses in other countries, you know, leftists, always, we when we denigrate the UN and we denigrate all these different international bodies, what people need to understand is that, you know, China and all these other countries, you know, Iran are given an equal seat at the table as if they have an equal say mm-hmm. in human rights abuses across the globe, and then they'll all attack America for our human rights abuses. Yeah, yeah. It's, Absolutely. It's, I mean, that, that's why it's laughable to us. I mean, that is probably one of the most depressing things of the left's whole, you know, defund the police, whatever you want to call it, is yeah. making it seem like America's this racist country. And, you know, that, I'm not saying America's a perfect country by Definitely any stretch. Not. There's yeah. plenty of stuff we can work on. Uh, but to even suggest that, your average American has it worse here than anywhere else on the planet. That's just uh, that's a fallacy. That's just not true. No, that's just, just not true. No, there's a, it's absolutely unreal to think about. Um, I kind of going back to I guess accountability the way that we just spoke about China. I want to talk about um, kind of another accountability debacle uh, yes. debacle that we're having in Washington is that no one in the political sphere wants to take accountability for who threw the first punch. Who shot first in the American political landscape? Nobody can take credit for who was mean first. Who was mean first? The most childish debate I've ever seen. (laughs) Now, we're in the midst of a kind of a messy situation in the media right now because Jennifer O'Malley Dillon, who was uh, a Joe Biden campaign manager who was just tapped to be the White House deputy chief of staff, um, she said in an interview with Glamour that they're essentially speaking about what worked for the Biden campaign. Um, she talked all about the unity message that, you know, the Biden transition team is now trying to peddle, that mm. he is the unity ticket. And they've said this since the beginning. He was going to reunite America. He was going to take things back from the claws of Donald Trump, who was mm-hmm. supposedly the most divisive figure in American right. history. And they were going to unite the country again. So 
Uh, in the same breath, she decided to say some awful things about Republicans because what's more uniting? Um, so she said, in the midst of this discussion about unity and about how, you know, perhaps we can come together in Washington. Sure, the Republicans are expletives. That's uh, of the F word variety, if anyone's wondering. Um, of course, Republicans are expletives. And of course, uh, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is terrible. But of course, we could we can come together and get some work done. And yeah. I think Joe you, Biden's going to be. But let's work together. Yeah, yeah. Joe Biden's going to be the guy that gets uh, gets us united, even though you guys are jerks. <laughs> which is the equivalent of the "I'm sorry, you got emotional about that." Yeah. Uh, yeah. In a, in an argument, uh, and so essentially over the over the past week, we've seen a lot of conservatives respond to that. One of those conservatives was Marco Rubio, who in a tweet said, "Biden talks about unity and healing, but you want to know what they really think." Read how the person he wants as the next White House deputy chief of staff called Republicans in Congress a bunch of expletives. Now, of course, the outpouring from the left has been that, well, Republicans have been rude for, you know, the last four years or more. Yeah. So it's your fault. Hillary Clinton, for instance, uh, on Twitter came out. We're going to show you the tweet now. She came out and said, people who stood by Donald Trump for the last four years are now claiming to be offended that a Democrat campaign manager used a curse word. I don't think so. Joe Scarborough at NBC, similar tweet, almost identical, actually. Rubio, who accused Donald Trump of having a small penis, is shocked by bad words used in glamour after being cool with four years of Trump's vulgarity. Now, what I want to discuss here, first of all, I think it's I think it is fair of Democrats to say, well, Donald Trump has been vulgar for four years. We know that. I think that's one of his worst qualities, that he has been vulgar and he has been incredibly abrasive. I've said this since the beginning. But to frame the discussion yeah. that way, is it's yeah. absolutely abominable. It's <laughs> unbelievable that you would frame the discussion that way. Because what this is really about is the fact no one is upset that someone said a bad word. Yeah. Personally, I, on your days off, sometimes you say bad words. Yes. Things happen. Um <laughs> Not always the best look, but things happen. <laughs> I'm not clutching my pearls about someone saying the F word. Yeah. I'm displeased that in the same breath as you call for unity, you stab someone in the back. Now, what I want to ask you guys, first of all, is should we be as conservatives right now? Should we be concerned about vulgarity in politics? Should the American landscape be concerned about vulgarity in politics? Should we be trying to go back to the days where kind of, you know, faces were kept up? And things were kind and cordial, at least, you know, face to face. Should we be trying to go back to that? Or is it hypocritical to look for that given what's happened in recent memory politically? Uh, I don't know if we can ever go back. to that. I, I want to say that Pandora's box was probably, I would say during the Obama years. Or actually, no, probably maybe even during the Bush years. It, it was kind of nudged open a bit. Then the, in the Obama years, it was nudged open a little bit more. And then once Trump came in, it blew the whole lid off uh, Pandora's box. I don't think we can get that back in there. I, now that it's out there, um, I don't know if we can, you know, go back to a more civilized age. Uh, and I, but you know, I'm not entirely certain that's a bad thing. Um, you know, I saw uh, conservative blogger Matt Walsh had a had a pretty interesting take on this. He he said, "I don't care about this at all." About you know the what, yeah. what was her name Jennifer? What was her name? Uh. O'Malley Dillon. O'Malley Dillon. Uh, well, I wasn't even close. Yeah, somebody named Jennifer <laughs> did you wrong. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Walsh's whole take was, you know, he wasn't offended by this at all because O'Malley was basically just speaking the truth. It's yeah. how she feels about yeah. conservatives. Um, and, you know, 
that there's almost a and and this might be more thanks to Trump, but there's almost a even if it comes out vulgar, there is almost a refreshing level of honesty in politics these days. There are a few different points here. I think I want to attack the first one being, you know, there's a lot of Republicans that are going to be hypocrites on this when it comes to cursing. But I know Marco Rubio and plenty of others the whole the whole throughout the whole Trump presidency spoke out against his use of yes. vulgarity. Mm-hmm. So to say they're being hypocrites now is pretty ridiculous. Yeah. Um, when it comes to should we be worried a- about it? Anyone that knows me in my personal life knows I probably use a little too much vulgarity. Yeah. But I would like to think if I <laughs> I would like to think if I was an elected official, I would act more responsibly and I would act mm-hmm. like more of a leader than that. And I think we should hold people responsible in office to not, you know, saying things like that. So I think it should be it shouldn't be no deal. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be a big deal. (laughs) It shouldn't be something we're super concerned about. (laughs) It should be something we can say, hey, this probably uh, doesn't behoove you to say this. Mm -hmm. It's not respective of the office you've been given. But no, it shouldn't be a huge controversy or anything. I think that's a yeah. That's an incredibly fair take. I think I think the fact that we even have this discussion so often is kind of confusing to me. I mean, anyone who, yeah. who kind of have, has done yeah. their fair bit of reading American politics, this kind of idea of the good old days where everyone was always kind and cordial is ridiculous. I mean, what, four years prior to the Civil War, we had the caning of, of one U.S. senator by another U.S. senator on the Senate floor. We had in the second or third presidential election, I believe it was the second, Jefferson called Adams a hermaphroditic yeah. oh, little child. So many stories I mean, like it's that. It's not always yeah. been kind and cordial. I guess what I want to ask, though, is we're saying what I'm hearing from you guys is that it is representative of kind of what's going on behind the scenes and what's going on internally, how Americans are starting to feel about one another and how divisive things have gotten in the legislative landscape. So what I want to ask you guys now is also when we're hearing all this talk about unity, should Republicans come to the table? Do you think whether either whether we, you know, whether we lose the Senate or keep the Senate, I'm thinking it looks like we're going to keep the Senate on the right. Yeah, yeah. Whether regardless of whether that happens, should Republicans try to stonewall as hard as they can the way that, you know, Nancy Pelosi and her caucus stonewalled Donald Trump the last two years, you know, starting out immediately four years ago with talk about an impeachment, then getting the House and going for it? Mm. uh, Do we try to stonewall them just as hard or should we come to the table and try to do things right? If they're willing to come to the table, we should go to the table. If we feel like we can make some concessions, but still get policies done that we want to get done that we think will be helpful. We should be willing to do that. Now, I don't think that they're going to seriously <laughs> come to the table at this point, but I think that day is on the horizon for the Democratic Party. So, yeah, I think we should get ready for that. And we should be willing because we don't we don't want politics to continue to head in the way they've been heading. And we don't want cultural divisions to continue to head in the way they're heading. So with, you know, Trump, I think I think he was an absolute necessity. But now that we're past him, we need to get past him and we need to get past his flaws. So I am a little more torn on that because on the one hand, I do kind of agree with Michael, uh, you know, eventually, you know, unless we're just completely fine with the country splitting, mm-hmm. eventually some one of the parties has to be the bigger man. Mm-hmm. And yes. uh, it feels like conservative conservatives and the Republicans are just better equipped to mm-hmm. be that. Uh, that being said, I also do struggle a bit with the idea of 
trying to meet someone in the middle who just seems yeah. so incredibly disingenuous. Um, you know, I can't remember what the phrase is. Like they'll spit on your back and tell you it's rain or whatever. Like that's, that's Democrats, you know? Um, and the idea that, you know, conservatives always have to be the, take the high road is that's, that's also not tenable. Like it sounds wonderful. It yep. sounds like a, a very virtuous, noble thing uh in the real world it just it's not a thing um you know give them an inch they'll take a mile um and so i i am torn i would love to see some peace and unity and legitimate harmony between both parties just because you know regardless of which party's talking points you agree with americans are suffering right now like that's the bottom line like the country is suffering due to a multitude of reasons you can blame whoever you want to the bottom line is Americans are suffering, and as long as Democrats and Republicans can't, you know, they're not even reading the same book, let alone on the, being on the same page. As long as Democrats and Republicans can't meet in the middle, those people will continue to suffer. Um, and you know, just balance. So, like I said, I, I'm torn on that. I firmly believe that, but I also am not convinced that Democrats would come to the middle. They would not come to the table with the the, the purest of intentions. I would say, like, the reason I have a little more hope on that is just for you're one. Younger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cycle. that's one reason. <laughs> but also, like, when you look back at that that call that all the House representatives in the Democratic Party had, mm-hmm. like, there are people that are really upset at the socialist agenda, mm-hmm. and those people would be willing to come to the table, and we we just need more of them. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a good chance that that could happen in the next four years. And so something I want to ask you guys, I know we're running out of time here. I want to ask you guys both because I know that there are some of these folks in our audience. I know that I I know that my mother personally is one of these folks. What do you say? (laughs) She is a classy lady. What do you say to folks on the right who, you know, feel primarily that Trump caucus who feel that they have been stomped all over by the Democratic Party and by the political elite for so long that they can't come to the table. How do I I agree with you, Michael? I think eventually someone's got to someone's got to make an inroad. What do you say to those folks? I mean, even me, what do you say to someone like me? I think that the country just does better off when the political class can't get it together and can't get anything done. What do you say to folks about actually Hmm. trying to get things done in Washington? How do you bring people to the table? I mean, look, we just, it's, we're always, we can't look back. We just have to move forward with this stuff. Mm. And when it comes to the Republican Party, there's a lot of promising things in the future. And when when it comes to the Democratic Party, you know, I'm never, ever going to vote Democrat. I mean, you know, God willing, maybe (laughs) if I have a brain injury or something, but (laughs) I do have hope that they will become more reasonable. I think it's possible that it's going to happen. Like, I I think with what we've seen, we know that there are people in that party that are really unhappy with what's going on. And if we could get them to kind of revert back to being a little more reasonable to come to the table, we could actually get some things through that would might actually be really helpful. So, yeah, I think I'd largely agree with Michael in that sense. If I'm, if I'm trying to reach out to someone who is so passionately and fervently believes that, you know, the political class has done them no good, they can't win ever. You know, I, I would like to appeal to the logic, you know, further sp- splintering things. That's not going to solve anything like I, I have. I can't stand this idea of secession within the United States. Like that's just an awful, awful idea on so many levels, um, you know, and hopefully you can appeal to the logic and just explain like, hey, this might suck to have to be the, the adult in the room for five minutes, but. If if it helps us, it's something you should consider. 
Yeah. Um, all right. And with that, uh, we are just about out of time. But however, I do have one quick thing I want to add because I won't be on this show tomorrow. And tomorrow is the last day of our man behind the curtain, Kobe. Uh, he has helped us so much making this show what it is. I just want to say thank you, Kobe. You are the man and you will be dearly missed. Uh, with that being said, um, just a friendly reminder, this is WJ Live powered by the Western Journal. You can catch us every weekday at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, if, you're a list- if you're an audio listener, you can do us a huge favor by going to youtube.com backslash WJ Live. Click the subscribe button uh, and don't forget to also click on the bell. Uh, that way you will get notified when new episodes are available. If you are watching us on YouTube already, you can also help us out by going to however you want to listen to your podcast, whether it's Spotify, Apple Podcasts, what have you, uh, and subscribing to us there. Uh, and also, while you're there, you can do us a huge favor by leaving us a five-star review. That would be mighty, mighty appreciated. We've uh, already done them a favor. Nobody did the ding sound this time. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Too bad, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> And lastly, if you would like to support real journalism, please go to westernjournal.com backslash join. That way you can subscribe to the uh, Western Journal. Uh, you will get our a much more streamlined experience reading our content, and you will be helping us out. You will be helping us uh, keep the lights on, keep this podcast going, and keep bringing the truth to you guys. Uh, thank you so much for watching today, and have a happy Christmas because I won't be here for a while. Take care, guys. Hey guys, huge story. We need a fresh card. Let's red label it. Roll as fast as we can. All right, on it. All right, guys, we got a red label breaking story. Can we get a picture for that? And can we try to get that out in the next 20 minutes? I want eyes on it as soon as possible. On it, Joe. Two more minutes and we'll be live. Sam, we're going to need a slot for that story, so figure out what you want to bump. Ashley, we're going to want to translate it into Spanish yesterday. Si, senor. We can slide it in at 2.30. It should be going out here in about 10 minutes.